he's uh, he's just really good, and he'll oh, yeah. he, he inhabits these characters like he'll just give some like monologue, you know, as that character, and he'll be like talking about through stuff, and, like as on the other side, just me like watching this happen. I'm like pumped, you yep. know, because you know, <laughs> this like piece of licorice is like really going to town on this monologue. Scotch. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 350 Good of Coffee God. with Butterscotch, <laughs> the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm looking out at a snowy winter wonderland. I'm Sam and I'm a little, I'm a little cold, but I'm good, you know? You know? Cold, but good. Uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's February 3rd, 2020U. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be swears, bad words, curses, all laced, just laced throughout this show. Okay? Uh, so be ready for that. We'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, we got one from Master Tom NL, who donated to the podcast and said, Aloha, just dropping by with some money to say thank you for the games, podcasts, and being an inspiration. Cheers, Tom. Thanks, thanks Tom. Tom. Super nice. <laughs> uh, and also thanks to our recurring supporters as well. Uh, all right. Well, we got a couple things to talk about, and then and then it's just on to to questions. If you're paying attention to the dates at the start of our episodes, you may notice that things are a bit w- weird right now. Uh, we recorded a, a double last time, and and we're pre-recording this one as well. It's it's a strange time. There's a lot of schedule scheduling problems happening. But you know what? We're committed mm-hmm. to getting episodes out. On schedule, which Rain, sometimes sleet, means or we've got to record them in strangely asynchronous ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, that's just happening. So if, if some important things have happened by the time this episode airs, which will be, I think, several weeks later, uh, that's why we're not talking about it, is because we don't know that it has happened yet. Uh, all right, so a couple things. One, uh, it's snowing like crazy. It's snowing like crazy here in St. Louis. And... My, my unfortunate neighbors across the street, they moved in over the summer. I don't think they know about snow. Mm. I, don't, I don't think they know. Okay, for starters, when they bought the house, I was like, oh, man. This is a house that, as a Midwesterner, as soon as I saw that house, I was like, I would never buy a house like this. Does Not because of the house. Driveway? The driveway is like 45 degrees. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like... <clears throat> And I, I spent the last five years watching my pr- prior neighbor sliding out of that driveway <laughs> to go to work every day and then being unable to get back into it. Yep. And they kept, over the five years, they kept getting larger vehicles, I think, to, tr- like, t- to try to solve this problem. They kept trading up to bigger and bigger like SUVs and heavier things. And it just never worked, right? And they were just out there just salting that thing, you know, just trying to get any kind of traction, right? Mm-hmm. So the new neighbors come in. They're in, they're in just a regular sedan. No, no heavy machinery, just a regular car, you know. And snow's coming down like crazy. They didn't, they didn't shovel. They didn't do uh, salt. It's just, a, it's just a slip and slide. And one of them this morning was like, I'm going to work. <laughs> and then just their car, their car, they just abandoned their car. It's like stuck diagonally in the road in front of the driveway and they can't get it to me. <laughs> so, so I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh man, I want to help these people, you know? But something else happened, mm. which is 
which is I was doing my quest for gains, and and in between sets, I pulled something in my back. Mm. Like I wasn't doing anything. It was in between, just all of a sudden shooting pains through my back. So now I'm suffering the like, the I have like the wisdom of being in my mid thirties now and having lived to life and knowing like, oh man, it's, I know about this snow and driveway problem and I could help these people, mm-hmm. but also I have the body of a mid-30s person, <laughs> which is random things break at random times for no reason, and I can't do anything about it, you know? It's a real struggle. It's know? a real it, – what do they Curse. say? Like, youth is wasted on the young? Yep. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the the 45-degree driveway thing. Our, our mom's house in Grinnell had this, and there was one oh, man. storm. I just had to – like, it was at the top of a hill, her house, and then, and then up – off of the that, driveway itself was also a hill. Yeah, it was basically a 45-degree driveway with a sidewalk in the middle, like kind of bisecting it on the way up. And so there was like one flat patch. And if you could get your tires, if you could ramp onto that flat patch, then typically you Man, could catch it. Then, yeah, sort of ramp again into the actual driveway, right? Um, yeah, but then you got to hit your brakes real fast because you, you're coming into that garage with some momentum. coming in hot. Coming in the hot. Yeah, I had to. <laughs> I remember those slippery. So those yeah, a few hot. times where I had to had to yeah. do a full block circuit, go all the way down, the, all the way around, all the way back, all the way around, and then build up some like to like fifteen ish, twenty ish miles an hour just to sort of, you know, just sling the try vehicle, to, try to fishtail your way up into uh-huh. the. Uh, typically worked, but uh, you know, in retrospect, could have caused a tremendous amount of property damage. Probably not worth. Oh, yeah. Could have just parked on the park street. Park on the street, man. Just chill. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, it's a that's a risky scenario. It, yeah, it is. It is. But you know, I mean, the hill was there. Like, are you gonna you gonna like flatten that hill just to build a house on it? Like, that's that's a lot. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those tough things. But one really cool note about this storm that's going this winter storm that's going on. Apparently, this storm had the longest lightning mega flash in recorded world history. Whoa. A lightning mega flash is a lightning bolt that travels within a cloud, but over like hundreds of miles. Mm. So this lightning bolt was 447 miles long and lasted for 10 seconds. Wow. Jeez. So that's a, that's a dope ass bolt. You know, I feel like renewable <laughs> energy needs to capture light. I'm just like over wind. It's so slow. Sun. I mean, that takes. It's got to wait for it forever. Yeah. yeah. Capture that. Like, put that light. Imagine. Bolt, put it in imagine, a bottle. Imagine. In a bottle. Yeah. Put it in. Put it in something. Imagine how powerful your graphics card would be if you could power it with lightning. Yeah. Imagine how many NFTs you could mint with one lightning bolt. Oh my god. Oh, dozens. Yeah, dozens. At least. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Or millions. Less. I don't know actually what the computing power of creating NFTs is. Um, yeah. I don't know, but uh, it doesn't take uh, it doesn't take any mental computing power though. At least to make NFTs, you don't have to have a brain at all yep. to to make NFTs. Uh, no. As it turns out, so. I, th- I think you know. Dare I say, having a brain makes it less likely that you'll make it. It makes it harder to honest. make them. Yeah, you gotta you gotta get past the whole thinking part. Is it the saltiest? You gotta jump take? over that hurdle. The saltiest <laughs> NFT take you've heard so far. Good. There's oh, I'm so over it. There's now a, a recurring <laughs> joke on on Twitter in like the indie space of trying to 
see what the record time is going to be between some game company announcing some new NFT thing in their game offerings to and then backtracking on it, it. Yep. <laughs> because of backlash. Yeah, Team Seventeen just did this. Like they announced something. Like this is a little older, but like it's not like old, old, you know. But so they just announced that, and that was that was immediately following some other thing that also just canceled mm-hmm. it. Remember Stalker? We talked about a few mm-hmm. months ago. Also retracted it. You know, it's like they just keep on coming out, and they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I don't see what everybody else is doing. And the, I think it was an Ubisoft exec came out this past week saying something like, the oh, problem yeah. with NFTs isn't NFTs, it's that the players don't understand it. Yeah. Right? And it's like, yeah, they're the people buying the stuff you make. If they don't understand it, then they don't mm-hmm. want it. <laughs> you didn't explain it. <laughs> explain it. Explain why it's good, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, which really, I think the players don't understand it is code like, I'm trying to take advantage of the players and they keep thinking about stuff too hard and it's annoying. Right. Yep. Uh, so anyways, longest lightning. Very cool. All right. Now let's get on to questions. Uh, I think the last episode we got a, a whole two questions in. It was plural, um, you know, for the record. So we didn't not yeah. do what we said we were going to do. Yeah. So we did do questions and we're going to do questions again. <laughs> we're going, we're going for plurals this time as well. Uh, highest uploaded question from podcast.bscotch.net comes from Chalosis, who says, have you ever gotten into tabletop role-playing games? Mm. We have we've, played some Yeah, we've all D&D. played, mm-hmm. but yeah. gotten into is definitely too strong of a, of a like, commitment mm-hmm. than we have. We've gotten onto it, Got I would say, but definitely not it. into it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my wife did, did, a, did a session- session did a series campaign. campaign. That's what I'm looking for. That's what it's called. Over what do we do? That was like six like four months or something. Five four months, something like that. It was a bit. Um, it was it was it was quite. It was about every other week, every other you know Friday or mm-hmm. whatever it was for about six months. Yep. Skipped a few here and there because of attendance things, but yep. And then yeah, then we've had a few one-off sessions. I know you guys have done a few also, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. like short campaigns or one-off sessions and stuff. So yeah, we did, we've done it a bit, but not. It's not a thing we've just like gotten into. You know, it is very fun though. Yeah, I think I've done f- maybe five different, either like yeah, short or short sessions or full campaigns. Um, but yeah, I think the the consistent thread throughout is DMing is a real fucking hard job. Mm-hmm. DMing that, that dungeon master, that's the person who runs the campaign and puts the thing together. But it's not hard for the reasons that I think most people think it is. Mm. Um, it, it is, it is hard to come up with a good story and all of that stuff, but the real hard part is saying no to people. That's people management. People who want to dive into the group, uh, when you already have a full group or who have like strong opinions about stuff, something that they want, you know, cause we, we've, we've done campaigns where like, we're like, we've had somebody come in and just decide they were going to start attacking and robbing the other players. Right. And it's like, well, I mean, that's allowed. Technically it's, it sucks. Right. And if it's like somebody who comes in and they're just there for one day, like that person just comes in and just throws a wrench in the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it like, as the DM, it's okay to be like, no, this is our party. This is like, this is the group of people that we're doing the campaign with. And if you've got like somebody staying with you and they, you know, they got nothing to do tonight or whatever. Then we'll postpone our de- our dungeon our mm-hmm. session for next week. Uh, but like trying trying to like handpick a group of people who you think would be really fun to play with and keeping it at that group 
is like, I think the the golden rule, and it's so hard to do because you actually have to be a little bit confrontational about things sometimes. Not even once you have, (laughs) there's still just a lot of interpersonal, you know, it's all it's, people. It's such yeah, a it's social activity yeah. that, yeah, that any kind of interpersonal dynamic that people could have is present. But now it's through puppeted characters, you know? And so you take stuff that people aren't that, like, are, are already not aware of enough about how they interact with other people, and you, like, multiply it by imagination, you know? And then you can get some, even with people who otherwise, like, you hang out with and you're like, oh, you're having a great time all the time. And you don't even realize there's, like, some blind spot in how... Mm-hmm. They approach things because it hasn't impacted you, but then it gets magnified by the character, right? And then now you're trying to figure out this, how to navigate that challenge. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's the same as like I've I've had so many experiences where you you take somebody who is super chill or whatever, and all scenarios you've seen them in, and like th- this happens to me all the time when I because I I play World of Warcraft and there's a lot of different things you can do in that game, and one of them is player versus player. Mm-hmm. Right, and a lot of people don't touch that side of the game at all. And every now and then, somebody would be like, "Hey, I'm, I want to try this thing," right? And I'll be like, "Sure, let's go. Let's go do some matches. You know, let's go do some games, play against some other people." And they just become just a raging just asshole. <laughs> just in me, like as soon as they lose a match, you know, they just become the worst person yeah. on earth. Uh, and uh, it's kind of weird because, like, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that like. Your personality is not a fixed thing. It's some kind of fusion between what's going on inside your head and body and what's going on outside Context. of it, right? And so, like, what what that teaches me about that person is, like, not that that person sucks as a person or mm-hmm. that they are an asshole. It's just that they don't do well in that situation, right? Yeah, currently not a in that context, they are. yeah. It, at that moment, they are an asshole. That doesn't mean that they they are an asshole in just period, right? The, and so it the, tells the, me the degree like, to which they are an asshole in that context could easily it can tell you some things. Into, <laughs> it's, it's kind of it's kind of like how people talk about uh, alcohol, right? Where it's like if somebody is a total asshole when they're drunk, it's like, well, that's because their inhibitions are lowered, and this is something that's kind of in there, mm-hmm. right? And so, so it is the case, like, it does change my opinion about someone if I see them in a new context and they are acting like a, like a dick, right? Because um, I think, like, well, my, my overall opinion of that person is now far, far lower, and I'm less likely to engage with them in general because now there's always that thing in my mind where I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Like, if, if, if any time we go to a new potentially, like, stressful situation— are they if this person just deteriorates into a into a person who causes problem for everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, then like I don't I don't want that, right? Yeah, I do think but you don't know that until you see it. Yeah, well, so. I think that's what's fascinating about the the tabletop style games is that uh, it, it does provide a new if you have a, a friend group or whatever else, it does provide an interesting new context typically because uh, it's it is very outside standard context, right? Uh, it provides a cool way to explore who people are and can be. In ways that I think can be very fun and surprising a lot of times. Um, Maybe as good well for like as marriage yeah. counseling. Oh, yeah. I mean, know? honestly, like, good for any friend group. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a fun it thing reveal to do. stuff, right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, some things you see, you know, people can't, like, I feel like I can hold up an illusion of a different character for. Maybe like thirty minutes, and then it's really just still me, but over there, you know what I mean? Yep. Like it's yeah, I can't. Yeah, I'm just always me in all contexts. Yeah, the role playing is is very uh, is very hit or miss for me personally, and so and and I do also personally suffer from a lot of impatience. So one of the things we ended up modifying a lot uh, 
thanks to uh, a lot of research on on Jenny's part as the dungeon master was how combat worked in our campaign because I've always found the Dungeons and Dragons combat just so unbearably slow and actually oh, it's, against it's, the idea of improv and teamwork generally. Uh, it's like everybody is a solo actor actually um, sort of waiting in turn, which is so weird when you think about what the point of it is. It's weird is, that the combat, which is supposed to be the most intense action packed, like thrilling part of the experience is by far the most boring, yeah. tedious Experience. So we tried to. We ended up trying a bunch of different uh, methods toward the end of it, and and one of them, which is way more fun, which was this sort of like typically what it is is you basically roll for initiative, quote unquote, which really is your turn order. So then it's like okay, it's sort of like lining up to go like whack a zombie, right? Like so that's essentially it. You go, you don't get to manage that turn order. You don't really, you can't really confer. Which means that if you're, say, a support class and you have a spell that makes it so that you know people can, when they hit the target, they'll do double damage. There's no really point. Oftentimes, when you're using it because you can't, yeah, it's if you like, go last, it's too late. You know? Yeah, if you so, go last, it's too late. And so it's like there's all this stuff that like would be cool if you're able to manage more so as a group uh, that kind of combat thing and a more on a, an improv style. Like, oh, I have this idea, I have this thing. You know, let me try this first, and then you can do that. Um, and so we ended up using that toward I think our last few sessions, which was made the combat a lot, but a lot faster and a lot more fun because every single turn, then even if you were sort of like grouped together with say two other people, if your initiatives were kind of lined up before the enemy went, then the whole group would kind of like, whoever had an idea about how to approach the situation could kind of kick it off and then the person picks it up and and you could react to what actually happened. Stuff. Yeah, it was it actually yeah. felt a lot more fluid. Right. I really liked that um, toward the end of it, which is cool. Yeah, well, and another thing is, too is, is just the fact that, I think this is true of a lot of games, if there's no time limit on decision, like on complex decision-making, Yes. Then it pushes people to overanalyze and come unprepared, right? So, like, if yes. if during a, a combat session in DD, you could take twenty five minutes to decide what your next attack is going to be, and you can be like flipping through the rule book trying to figure out what all your moves are, it's like, it's like know what your character is capable of coming into the session, right? There are resources for you to know that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then when it comes time to do your attack, like, do, just do do something. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not a calculus problem, right? Yeah. Well, but in the uh, also, there's tons of randomness though, and other shit, you know. Yeah, in the absence of experience, though, all this stuff is a lot more challenging, you know, because mm -hmm. you can me. read the manual all day and be like, okay, I think I've memorized what my spells are. But then, like, you forget the difference between cantrips and a spell slot and, like, what a level, different level spell slot is. And you're like, how do I keep tra you're like, keeping track of all that stuff? Everything has a range, you know, and can have yeah. Impacts on other things you might be on yeah. well, which, which does speak to right like now, you know, it's like, just there's so many rules yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it, it it's it's engineered to almost make it hard to have quick and interesting combat sessions even when you do kind of shortcut all the rules yeah. like Sam was just talking I about think my my biggest gripe is the degree to which you can miss because it's just <laughs> oh so, it is so it is so, so non-interesting to miss and I mean with everything yep. I mean I, the joke was in our group that because I had, I was a warlock who had eldritch blast which is just like basically shooting a laser beam out of your finger um, I couldn't hit anything I think I hit maybe one target over the course of like yeah six you missed like months four or five times and that probably. was mainly what yeah it was mainly the spell I used and like how annoying as a rule. what's annoying about it is that <laughs> is that. Your turn takes so long to get to. Yes, exactly. And, the, and then you can make a bunch of decisions about what you want to do, and then literally nothing happens, yes. right? And, yeah. and on top of that, like, when you're trying to do something so simple, like cast your easiest 
Yep. Spell. Enough to hit the target. That all it does. And you're five feet away from your opponent. Yep. Yeah. It's all, I got 120 foot range and you're standing in point blank, right? And it's like, okay, all this spell does is some damage, right? And, you, and, you, and you're not trying to do anything fancy. You're not trying to like levitate the person, you know, off of a cliff nope. or, you know, something like just that. You just like, I just want to be able to point my finger at him and be like, boom, right? Yep. And and then, no, it just goes wide. Like, oh, it's, it's the most unsatisfying yep. mechanic I think the best, the best ever. <laughs> use I had of it was literally I was trapped inside of a creature. Finally, the place where there's no way oh, yeah, that I could right. even miss. I got eaten by something. And then I was like. Yeah. Does this mean that Now's I can just time. fucking cast the spell? I don't have to aim, <laughs> presumably, because I'm in the body of the beast, and I just like blew it up from the inside, which was extremely satisfying. You know. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, one thing that I think would be kind of cool though, because because there's this concept in um, in Dungeons and Dragons called AC, which is your armor class. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's weird about it is that it's binary. So like, if you have an AC of ten, yeah, and that means somebody has to roll. Uh, an 11 or higher, so an 11 to 20 on a, on a 20-sided die. So they have a 50% chance of, of landing an attack, right? And it's like, that's not what armor does, mm-hmm. you know? Like, armor it's damage mitigates mitigation. damage. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yes. what if what if instead it was like, okay, they would roll for their, you know, their attack, and like you or you would roll your own dice, right? And so if you had... 10 armor, right? Then if you roll what like you, I don't know, you'd roll a, a 10 sided die and then whatever you rolled, you could take damage off, right? It's like, you'd still, you always, always get hit. hit. Everyone's just always getting you hit. You know, but then yeah. your armor has a chance to mitigate the hit, right? And it's like, okay, there, like things are happening actually. Yes. And instead of just I think there's nothing a, happening. There's a major turn, reason turn, turn, turn. why misses in most turn-based combat games either don't exist or if they do, uh, in sequels, they are slowly whittled away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. because it's I mean, actually the last fun. time I had this in a video game was with XCOM. Yes, exactly. With XCOM. The, with the is the aliens one. Yep. Maybe they're all aliens. I don't know, but, but yeah, I, I hadn't played any of those games. And I got it. Was, was yep. this like five years ago or something? And so I was like so pumped. I was like, we'll pick, like picking out my crew, you know, and like and learning the thing. Like they're gonna just die and stuff. So I was like trying to figure out how to think about this. Go intense. So go cool. start playing it out. And then, like I'm just like next to this alien. You know, like my guy's just right there. <laughs> He's like three squares away or whatever. No cover. It's just yep. st- just standing there. The and alien's just, just looking at him. They're just standing looking in the at him. And then he just my guy just misses. <laughs> yep. And just well, here's, the, here's it was the like thing that the it, it made me stop playing almost instantly because I was like the fuck yeah. this is the least satisfying experience I've ever had. <laughs> well, the, the the problem is that is that turn based games like XCOM or D anD D are trying to simulate an action scenario, right? Yes. And so so they 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 make the logical leap where they're like, this is an intense combat situation mm-hmm. that we have essentially paused, and so it makes sense in if you think about it that like if you're in hand to hand combat, you know, with this yeah, alien you might in close quarters, miss. you might miss, right? Yeah. Except, like, that's not really what you, we are seeing yeah. and experiencing mm-hmm. as a player, right? If and it was so, the case that you could remake the decision, it's, if it was like a, you know, if it's a first person shooter, it's fine to miss because you're shooting a lot of bullets. Because I mean? it actually is it an, an intense yeah. action scenario. Yeah. It is what. Well, and also, right? it's not, you're it's the not one pretending who to be one, you know, like. Yep. Like you could see that you did that because you just didn't point the thing good enough, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, have, so I have a great many beefs with like a lot of the core combat oh, so mechanical aspects of. But that is D&D. for D and D. Yes, D and D specifically. We haven't played. There a lot of are of course 
tons of tabletop RPGs and uh, my, my wife still plays in a few sessions here and there. Um, different. I don't think I don't think any of them are just straight D and D at this point. Um, it's all kind of either flavors of it or completely different ones. Um, and uh, I know that there's a guy who has a Patreon. That I think every month he just puts out a new small, oh, simple tabletop RPG. Cool. And like like with like, new rules and everything. Yeah, new rules. It's like a thing. It's like but something that's really. It's like a, literally a pager, right? You can read the page. That's the whole thing. Mm. That's the that's the whole rule set, and you can play it in a session. You know. So I think it's one of those uh, categories of of experiences that I think D and D sort of has such a stranglehold on. You know, that on the one hand, like people who might be into it, uh, like that sounds so big and like f- confusing and just intense. Um, that is just a huge barrier that's in the way. But that's the only thing that they know about. And so D and D is usually people's entry point into that, even though it's the most difficult yeah. possible way to get into it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of really cool stuff out there. So anybody well, out there who is into this stuff, like I would, I would definitely advocate for if you're trying to bring new people in, don't do it D and D. Find yeah. find simpler tabletop RPGs, um, and uh, yeah, and focus more on just like what would make this experience <laughs> interesting and fun, you know. And, and, and you do see that too, because like some people love the rules. It's all rules lawyering, right? And some games are like that, some players are like that, some games are like that. And if, if everybody's on board and enjoys that, that's great. Most people are not into that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and so if you if you construct a thing like that as the DM, or I guess GM for game master, whatever, the more general mm-hmm. sense, um, if you don't take into account the fact that your players are trying to have fun, you know, uh, it's uh, it could be unpleasant. <laughs> it could be an unpleasant like, experience. Like there's uh, there's also a lot of, if you're interested in just kind of seeing what it's like, there's a lot of uh, like podcasts and shows. So like Critical Role or uh, The Adventure Zone by the, the McElroy family. It's pretty great. Um, so there's like, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of like really great stuff out there. Um, so definitely check that out. If But they, again, like they always modify the rules a bunch mm-hmm. to make it fun to listen to and fast paced, right? Um, yeah. So well, if you, actually, if you want more exposure to kind of the, the breadth of them too, uh, there's also, uh, I think it's Dimension 20. Is that the one that's by the, by college, the college humor, humor team? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And uh, they have a long gun and they do lots of different campaigns. Um, my wife's been watching a lot of those, so I catch little snippets here and there, you know. But they had a whole huge campaign that was basically Game of Thrones and Candyland. Yeah, I watched the it opening like, episode today. It was, it's good. Did you see it? Yeah. yeah it's like, it's just like so intense. And the, and the guy who does, who leads all those, the GM, what's his name? Zach Brandon. Something, I don't know. Brandon? Brandon? I don't know. Yeah, but he's, yeah. he's, uh, he's just really good. And he'll, oh, yeah. he, he inhabits these characters. Like he'll just give some like monologue. You know, as that character, and he'll be like talking about through stuff, and like as on the other side, just me like watching this happen. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm like getting pumped, you know, because yep. <laughs> yeah, this like piece of licorice is like really going to town on this monologue. Yeah, yeah it's just so, <laughs> and, he, like, and he'll, he'll like throw in these things that are like that are you know casual remarks at like the current real world situation that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's now through like a interpretation Candyland, this new context, <laughs> candy <it's> very, people. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, d- definitely it's, it's worth, if you haven't done tabletop stuff before, it's, it's worth getting into because it's, it's all very interesting. I think like we've been talking, I mean, as like we talked for days about this, like you, you learn a million things about mm-hmm. what's fun and interesting about people, about like group dynamics, about like acting and, you know, just like how gameplay rules interact with storytelling. There's so many cool things you can kind of extract from it. So definitely, you know, definitely do it. Mm-hmm. Our next question comes from Fly Hoppy X Rampa, who says, 
is the fabricator just for Crashlands 2? If yes, will building a new fabricator become part of your next game's pre-production process or fit in somewhere else? Uh, so the fabricator, we have actually changed the name. It's now called the Game Changer. <laughs> Uh, because, uh, which Sam was advocating for because we routinely referred to it as a game changer because of how much it's going to change all the ways that we approach everything. But also it literally <laughs> changes the- is a tool for changing our games, it's just, it's yeah. too for allowing yeah, it's people, too if you're coming yeah. in to, to this episode hot and had heard the other the prior ones, the Fabricator was basically a, a really a resource management to like an asset management tool for game assets. Um, but like for every sort of layer of stuff, including well, like yeah, it's, a very I would a color, you know, like really anything could be in there. Um, so it's basically a front end, like a nice UI tool for both Seth and then people doing content work, like Sam doing art and Jen doing yeah. our narrative. So stuff. in like a so like a, in a simple scenario, I could say like, okay, here's a here's a, a bundle of data that I just call like um, the the game balance data, mm-hmm. and in there, there's going to be a bunch of variables like uh, how fast how fast do things move, how fast do things run in this game, right? And so that's just like a variable that's in there, and and in the fabricator or not in the game changer, um, that number has a bunch of rules on it. So like I, as a programmer, I've said like, okay, um, that number is adjustable between like, you know, one and 10 or something. And, and by default, we're going to start at two. So then Sam would be able to like, when playing Crashlands 2, he'd be like, wow, you know, like something feels weird about like the balance in this game. I want to see what it would be like if we just kind of like, if everything just moved a little bit faster, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if I ran faster, if it, just, if everything was faster, right? So he could just pop open the, the the game changer, go into the game balance uh, data blob there, and he would have a little editor, you know, with a little slider that's like movement speed, and he would just slide that up a little bit, and then pop back into the game and and uh, run around, right? And so, so you could think about that concept, but now think about that Deep. everywhere, yeah. right? Which is like, okay, well, what if what if you know, Sam says like, oh yeah, I want to add like a, I want to add a new like building to the game. So I need like walls, floors, doors, you know, roofs, maybe some furniture that goes with the, you know, whatever. Uh, so he could make those art assets. We get them loaded into the the game maker project, and then in the game changer, he's able to add those assets and customize everything about them. So their hit boxes, their recipes, how they're made, um, you know, just everything top so to bottom. So it moves all that work previously that was basically in the code doing data management on this part actually externally such that that work is not even a thing that he has to bother with, which means that then the basically from a bottlenecking stand, standpoint, it's like you basically shift a tremendous amount of uh, what was previously the work of the game programmer, which is doing both systems implementation and content implementation. You basically remove the content implementation completely and then beef up the systems approach such that over time, you're just building more and more functionality into this game changer, uh, which then allows more and more people to do more and more cool things. So uh, in short, I guess the answer to the question is it is currently just for Crashlands 2 because we're not going to, basically the current thing we're digging out of is the fact that we had a year worth of stuff in there, which means we weren't using this from the get-go. So it's sort of like getting all that put in to the game changer format and and reconfigured in an intelligent way, which is the current kind of big project. And it would not make any sense to go back to previous projects and like do the exact same thing because it's the same problem again. But going forward- yeah, going forward, it would be, uh, you know, if we were to start at 
one, once we get cleared with this, it's essentially is the case that Crashlands 2 is built in uh, with basically the game changers part of the pipeline. And then any future projects would be from the ground up uh, using it in the same sort of way. So, yeah. 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 And the idea is we basically want to think about everything as sort of like um, generic data formats that we then put, put together to make kinds of game assets. So an interesting example is like, let's say you got a, a, a tree in the world that you want to have it drop some different kinds of like resources, like acorns and wood and, you know, stuff like that. Right. So, the way we typically handle that in a game is we have a list of the things that it'll drop, and each one has a number associated with it, which then becomes sort of like its probability, right? Um, so that way, when you chop down the tree, we say, like, all right, this tree is going to drop like two to four things, and like acorns have a weight of 10, and bark has a weight of 50. So bark is five times more likely to drop than acorns, right? Um, so that's if you think about that sort of like at a low level, it's basically just like a list of key value pairs that get converted into probabilities. And that concept isn't unique to that tree. And it's not even unique to like items that drop loot in general. It's just sometimes you need collections of stuff that have probabilities associated with them. Right. And so, so we convert that into a generic concept that has its own little editor, little visual editor in the in the uh, the game changer, and so then if going forward in the next game, uh, maybe we've got like not just like recipes or drops, we've got some other like random events that want that we want to have happen, you know, whatever. We can just reuse that um, that editor to make those things happen, and so we would basically think about uh, creating these reusable data concepts. And then the, those become game data. And then my job as the game programmer is to, is to then just have the game pull those variables out and actually like use them in, in the game systems, right? So um, yeah, so it should speed things up. I think is what's going to be really interesting about it is that, and this is something I was kind of like chuckling about uh, yesterday, is that in DevOps, we talk about this idea of throwing the pig over the wall. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is the term, it's a very bizarre term, but it basically means like you finished a project and then you send it downstream to some next person in your company or whatever. And then maybe it's the customer. It. Yeah, maybe it's the customer or maybe it's like, an, uh, maybe you're a developer and you send something to another developer or to QA or whatever. Um, and because, it, because you've sent it downstream, then any problems you've created are dealt with by that person. Yes. So, so you don't get hit by your own mistakes, right? And when you get hit by your own mistakes, you understand them better and you become more likely to build in systems to stop them from happening, right? And so one of the really interesting problems we've always had is the problem of naming mm-hmm. because uh, – because Sam will create art assets and give them names, and then we bring them into the game. And then since I was implementing those images and using them in the code, then uh, then it was it was up to me to then like look at the names and use them for stuff, right? Um, and so if, for example, Sam didn't have a specifically uh, like tightly enforced naming convention for like a certain kind of thing, so maybe like three different buttons, you know, one is called like SP button one, and it was like SP button B, and it was like SP, 
you know, button, clicky big. Button, yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so, so, but he has no good way to track those things because he's just sending them downstream and never looking at them next to each other. Or they'll and get made over the I, course of like three different months or something. They get made over like a yeah. year. Yeah. At different times. And so you're not, you're not going like to check back in and look at the other ones. And then since I'm the one implementing them, then, then, uh, I'm the one who sees the names at the end of the day next to each other. But with the game changer, it will now be up to the people creating those things, like Sam with his art, or like uh, Fat Bard who does our audio, with working with audio stuff, etc. So it'll be up to the people who created those things and who chose their names to then go look them up in the game changer and find those assets and hook them up to the things in the game that they want to hook them to. Which means now our naming conventions are going to suddenly get a lot better, mm-hmm. right? Because because everybody will be looking routinely at all of the names of the stuff that they've already been doing and will have those conventions in mind, right? And so there's going to be lots of really weird, interesting kind of like side effects from this. And another kind of weird thing that will happen is like we talked about the Jevons paradox, right? Which is like you can't you – can't, uh, work less by making something more efficient, right? Well, you can because the Jones products applies to at any any given metric you might not or be sorry, able to. Or, sorry, make. something will not be used less because it's it's made more efficient. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, what will happen is you'll still you'll just use it way more, right? And so previously the bottleneck was like if Sam made some art assets, then I would be the one to hook them up, right? And so while I'm hooking them up, I'm not like working on game systems and stuff. Um, and this, the current state of the game is, is kind of static, right? So what's going to happen in the meantime, then with the game changer is, is several people, not just me, will be able to interact with the game systems directly and try to add stuff to them and make them do things that they might not actually be able to do yet. Well, even or that I didn't of- think of, or there's an edge case or whatever. Yeah. Um, but even outside of like fitting within the design, so this is, it's the flip side of the like the naming convention problem of if somebody makes a name that's for use programmatically but doesn't use it programmatically, then it's going to follow conventions that have nothing to do with that, right? Yeah, it's the same deal on the other side, which is that since you do all the implementation, mm-hmm. right, then all of your everything that about how the code is structured and how the data structures are structured and like all of that reflect how it works in the game and like in your mental model based on programming it. And oftentimes, so yeah, now as soon as you expose that to to programs mm-hmm. or things, right? Yeah, yep. So as soon as you and you've already felt that, which we've at least talked about internally, where a whole bunch of stuff that Seth set up in particular ways, it's just to make it easier to program. He's now having to like undo and yeah. unspool and turn it into new structures that actually make it so that somebody can come in, including himself, and just like see it in this new context, where what it means to have that be a good interaction is completely different. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so there's a lot of kind of um I mean it's a game changer, yep. right? Like it it changes everything about how we how we have to think about uh game data, about game mechanics, about our team's pipeline. And there's going to be some new interesting problems too, which is like um uh, tracking changes. You know, if if previously any additions to game content had to go through the game code and were done by me, then those things always uh, became expressed as git commits. Mm-hmm. And that means they went into the patch notes, right? And so- And there was always one person who had seen literally every change, mm-hmm. guaranteed, because that person made every change. Right? Exactly. Um, and so now it's, 
It's with, with changes coming through the game changer, we have to figure out how to keep those changes visible so that the QA team knows about them and they can test those changes. And also so that other people downstream are also aware of them, right? Because like I, I still want to know what has changed in the game um, so that I, I can have those changes in mind as I'm developing game systems, right? Because if, if a bunch of stuff is happening in the game that I don't even know about mm-hmm. and I'm making assumptions about some new game system that I'm building that's actually in violation of some existing you know, content or something that we have, then that's a big problem, right? And so there's going to be a lot of new interesting complexity that comes out of that about having a highly collaborative, more sort of like- It's more scalable, Free-flowing thing. Is basically what it is. It is, yeah. It's what- well, it will be more scalable, but we have to make it scalable by building lots of safeguards, yep. you know, to make yeah. it so that it's so that we can't break things. Um, well, yeah, there's kind of the yeah. three sort of concepts that this is all about are self-service, right? So if somebody needs to accomplish something, they can go do it. They don't have to wait for somebody to do it. And then there's visibility, which is if something is visible to the team, to yourself, to whatever, right? Uh, and not meaning like, it happens to be accessible. Like there's a link to it if you just knew what the link was, but as in like literally it shows itself to you when you need it, right? Yep. So you have those core concepts. And then that last one is whoever makes a change um, needs to also feel the consequences of that change, right? Good or good or bad. Mm-hmm. Because anytime you're throwing the pig over the wall, as that weird saying goes, you're basically <laughs> saying like, okay, I may have, I, it, it doesn't actually, I, I hit the spec. I did the spec my part. Was. Worked right, on my, my machine. Part. You throw it over. Worked on my machine. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not, and, and it's often treated in this kind of like us against them kind of way, it's, you know? It but, ends up being it, yeah. it. But it isn't really that. It's actually a discipline problem, right? Because if something requires discipline to be done correctly, that's because- It, it won't be. Well, I mean, it won't be, but it's also because like things shouldn't require discipline because they only do if there's not a good reason to do it that way. Or if there's not a good structure to, to reinforce yeah. the outcome. But the main thing is yeah. if you don't feel the consequences of- going against whatever the you know requirement is, right? Then you can't adhere to discipline that forces it because it's arbitrary to you. If something is yep. arbitrary to you, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it that way, right? It has to be something that you actually feel the consequences of. And if that's not possible, you need automation. It's the only you know solution to that. Um, even then, you should still have it as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, we'll have a lot more to say. And it's something that I think we will probably maybe even like make some videos to kind of show showcase at some point down the road because it's, it's cool. I think it's, 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 it's going to be, useful, it's a useful I, paradigm shift. I think in game dev generally, it's something that is, it's, it's attempted in every single engine format that currently exists. But I think the degree to which we are doing it effectively is, is by far the best that I have seen. Uh, and that's from, you know, looking at a lot of tools, talks, a lot of GC talks, a lot of how, Unreal's doing, Unity's doing, whatever else. Um, it sounds like the same thing, but it ends up being very much something else entirely, I think, uh, once you see it kind of all flowing together. So it's very cool. Yeah. And there's some similar stuff out there, but yeah, it's the use case matters a lot. Mm-hmm. And who's designing it for what audience and how much they experience, how much experience they have on the other side, right? Because if you're making a tool for game developers to make games, but don't use it to make games, yep. then you could be it's the same problem over again. You need to feel the consequences of your own decisions, right? Uh, and so... Yeah, we tried many tools, and what we're going to end up with is going to, you know, it's going to look kind of like a lot of them, mm-hmm. but none of those actually solved our problems, right? So it's going to be its own whole thing. It's going to do some wild stuff. It's going to do some wild stuff. Well, I'm very excited about it. But we're still a long ways off, though. It has so many 
So we have so many boxes we have to check before this thing is like really, you know, rip roaring away. Uh, all right, last question comes from Kairos Sans Logos, who says, I am currently working from home, so my desk and computer has become my place where I do just about everything in my life. The same space serves too many functions, and I think that I might it might be worsening my ability to focus on any single activity there. I want some way to distinguish between when the space is for my job, slash gaming, etc. How do I fool my brain? What advice do you have for multi-use spaces? P.S. Thanks for all the amazing games and podcasts. You exude hilarity and wisdom. Oh. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for thanks. the, the complo, as they say. <laughs> uh, I think uh, go for yeah, it. my two recommendations are if you can have other spaces for yes. certain purposes, do that. But you can't always. So if you can't, um, then try to make it as if you as like, feel like you do, right? So, for example, if you're using Windows and you're going to swap between working and playing video games, something you could do if you're struggling with balancing those because – Everything's just one click away. Let's make it more clicks away. Make a new, make another user account on the same operating system called mm-hmm. Gaming. Right now, you have to switch user accounts to get into your gaming, which is also you get some advantages too, because now all the stuff that you need for gaming and whatever can be set up and organized that way. It's a new space. Yep, and uh, and that'll help you. And I, I do something with it's a little less intense in terms of effort to go through, but it depends on how much trouble you're having switching. Which I just use lots of virtual desktops. So I have four virtual desktops um, on my computer setup. So each one is just for a certain kind of thing. And so the act of switching between them is dramatic enough mm-hmm. that it helps me shift mindset as I go. And it has this like intentionality to it where it doesn't feel like I can just like accidentally just be like, oh, I wonder, you know, and like flip over the other thing. Um, but yeah, basically creating barriers and, and distinct uh, areas. Yeah, I think with that, before pre-pandemic, I mainly played PC games. Um, but similar to kind of this experience that you're talking about where everything starts getting too blendy. Uh, I'm largely switched over to playing console actually. Um, once we went remote because similarly, I just found it, it was just too weird to be in the same room. Just, you know, the whole day I was like, this is just odd. Uh, and if you don't have space, there's also, there's other options there, which, you know, like a switch is portable. Um, there's also like a shit ton of mobile games that are great. So if you have a tablet or whatever else, uh, keep on, you could, you kind of change up your, where you normally would play, um, just even if you don't have necessarily like a dedicated, you know, console TV living room setup, uh, if you have an iPad or something like a basic tablet, you can. There's a lot of really good games that are that are on those things, and it sounds weird to say it, but like you can just just try that out and see if that works. Um, and the other one that I found really helpful is actually the physical rituals. So, so I started getting some pain in my wrists. Uh, I don't know, maybe six months in the pandemic or so from just working so much uh, at the computer with all the art stuff we were doing with, with Crashlands 2. And so I got a wrist brace. Now, interestingly, the pain in my wrist has gone away. It's been gone for a good long, maybe probably six months now. And that was uh, basically like a year ago. It was maybe the first time I started feeling it. Um, but that brace, like basically strapping that thing on, right? Because it's big Velcro. And you, it, it keeps your wrist all. It's like a wrist splint, right? It's like the Batman suit up montage. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, when I put that on, it's like, it's it basically, it's an easy way to accelerate me into like the work mode. And then when I take it off, it also is a similar sort of thing. Like I'm not going to, I, I am not going to do art without that wrist brace on. That's just sort of like a mm-hmm. thing I've required. I can play games without it. Sure. Um, Cause again, my wrist doesn't actually hurt anymore, but it's like a, it's a little physical ritual um, that actually really, for me, helps distinguish even when I'm working in the same space. Uh, you know, some days we play Back for Blood together, whatever else. Uh, just strapping that thing on and strapping the thing off is like the best 
just the best for me personally. It's a very satisfying <laughs> tactile thing. And it has nothing to do with like, you don't have to have a new room in your house. You don't have to set up new desktop monitors. It's just like a interesting yeah, physical have a big thing. shift. Yeah. So yeah, I mean like, mm-hmm. cause yeah, my, my desktop setup is comfortable now. Like I spent all day up here. Right. Mm-hmm. But I've literally never watched a, like a movie or TV show at my desktop mm-hmm. because that's, that's what it the couch weird. downstairs is yeah. for. Yeah. You know, like it feels wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> despite the fact to be a perfectly good experience. Uh, so yeah, like yeah, so it true, seems yeah. like it shouldn't matter. Like really can. Yeah. And so you can even like, you can get a different pair of headphones that are like, if you're example, if you use like earbuds or no headphones and you like get some over the ear ones or literally get like a different mouse, you know, have them both plugged in all the time. But just like when you're like, okay, it's time for me to do work. You swap to, you're like, this is my professional, I'm a professional here. It's my professional mouse. Uh, you know, like it's, it sounds silly, but it's like a, you know, a, between a $20 and a $60 solution that can actually really uh, help to kind of change up the, the the feeling of the space, uh, even when it's just the exact same space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's a couple other notes too. So one is, is when it comes to that, like blending of what's going on on your computer. Um, one is you can use programs like, um, what is it? Freedom. Yes. Right. Oh yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. which allows you to set, like you can block certain URLs for certain like chunks of time throughout the day and stuff like that. So that it's like, okay, if you find yourself, you know, uh, wandering off to, I don't know, like TikTok or Reddit or something um, when you want to be actually like, working on stuff, then yeah, you can just set aside a chunk of the day and you're like, yeah, I don't get to go to those places during that time. Yep. Another thing you can use is uh, there's a program called Shift, which oh, is- Oh, I forgot you were using that. Yeah. Which is poorly named because try yeah, Googling how do you find that, it? you know? <laughs> um, do you know what the URL is to share? Uh, uh, probably if you let just, me, I think if you type in try like, Shift, it'll probably show up. It's like try shift or my shift or yeah. I think it's try shift. Well, yeah, Jen, yeah. Jen will put it in the in the notes. Yeah. yeah, but it's basically a way for you to kind of create because like it's, it's kind of the the problem I think a lot of us have is that a lot of our work happens in a browser, yes. right? Whether it's like email, Google Docs, some kind of task manager. Maybe you're using like Asana. We're using you know we're using Favro, um, and problem is like. You're just a, a you know control T open a new tab away from just chilling watching YouTube videos later. and like going on Netflix and whatever else right, and so Shift allows you to sort of create pre-populate like a pre-populated almost like a desktop mm-hmm. that has those web pages just like already set up essentially and you can as shift between them more or less right yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. It, it turns websites into applications and Shift is almost like its own desktop that has those mm-hmm. programs running on it. And, and because it's so annoying to try to use shift to like open tabs and do other things, mm-hmm. then it really does just kind of like keep you focused on the stuff that you're <laughs> yeah, wanting to yeah, do. It's all about those hurdles and separation, right? It's like, if you just make it whatever degree of inconvenient you need it to be, like find yeah. the thing that gives you that little inconvenience. And yeah. And I, honestly, I found that it's that, that shift has helped with my work quite a lot as well, because I've done stuff like I actually have, um, I have like a, a tab in there for for Google Messages, so I've be, I've been able to become more responsive to texts because now my texts are just always available on, on my computer, mm. right? And so I can pop them open there. Um, I can see when I have emails more easily. You know, like everything is everything for for that is far less. Uh, there's a lot less friction on it, but it also does a good job of keeping me sort of like in the zone on all of that stuff. Um, and then the the other thing is. Um, so Sam was talking about the idea of like these physical rituals to kind of like get into and out of work mode. And there's another physical ritual, which is to just literally create a barrier between like times of day. 
which for me, that's something like 5 p.m., 5.30 or whatever, get off the computer, go exercise, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And doing that for 30 minutes or whatever means like I can I can come back to the same space, You're in a different but it's mode. different now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've worked out, I've had dinner, I've showered, time has passed, and then I can boot up the computer and then like play some games. And I, I've got enough of a time separation now mm-hmm. between work and play that I'm just in a different frame of mind and I, you know, I don't feel weird about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, so lots of stuff to do, but ultimately it comes down to like make barriers and reframe things. So have explicit changes. Yeah. And and related to shift and for anyone who doesn't know already, uh, a lot of browsers, Chrome, Firefox, definitely. I don't know enough about Safari, but uh, they have like user, like user profiles that you can add where it literally just opens a whole new browser window and it can have different everything and it can be still fully synced. Right. So uh, I've actually split out my, I have like a work browser and a personal browser for like personal mail, that kind of stuff. Uh, Like, listening to music, all those come out of my personal thing. And then my work one just has my work stuff, right? Uh, and I found in general that anywhere that I can separate work and uh, and personal anything, especially accounts that can do various things, um, then that is an important thing to do. So like it's a good LastPass, like I've got LastPass, right? Uh, it's hooked on to my personal, like my personal can be seen via it, so I can just be logged in at one time. But actually, mostly I just log into two separate LastPass accounts in the two different browsers, Right, and then hmm. just have access to different things, and you can carry that through all of your stuff. Ah, man, I didn't even know about that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I don't know why I didn't know about that. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. have to do that. <laughs> now you know. Idea. Yeah, so hope that helps. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a bit of a you've got to be a lot more deliberate, you know, when you're working from home because you've got to create you got to create the structures to make it easy to do things. You can't just like you know just pop into an office that's already been built for you, right? <laughs> uh, so just take take the time, think about it, and just make adjustments. You'll get there. Uh, and that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. And to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.